From the University of Alberta Alumni Association, it's What the Job. I'm Matt Ray. Don't make stuff up and don't be, you know, don't, don't snowball me. But if there's some things you're good at, tell me. Because that's what I want to hear. That's what an interview is for. You know, share those things with me. And again, it's a fine line as, as to coming across arrogant and, and super ego. But interviews are not a time for false modesties. And so if, if you're smart, tell me you're smart. On this episode of What the Job, I speak with Paul Ingram, a partner with the Silverberg Group. In Paul's current role, he oversees a team that helps clients find benefit programs that work for them. But like so many other guests on What the Job, he has had a long and winding career path that's seen him wear many hats. He started as an accountant and held several roles in that field before shifting to running a business, being president of a company, helping other companies build their business, and ultimately landing in the role he has now. Paul shares some valuable lessons and advice he's picked up along the way, from making changes in your career to assembling a strong team to the value of self-assessment. What the Job is made possible with the support of our affinity partner, TD Insurance. Did you know that through the TD Insurance Mellish Monarchs program, University of Alberta alumni are entitled to preferred rates on car, home, condo, and renter's insurance? Save even more by bundling your car and home insurance. To learn more about how you can save, please visit tdinsurance.com slash alumni. What's your name and what's your job? Hi, my name is Paul Ingram and I'm a partner with Silverberg Group, which is a people corporation company. And what does Silverberg Group do? So we have the distinct pleasure. We work with our clients to make sure that they have the right benefit program. So most, most companies offer an employee benefit program. And we work with our clients very closely to make sure it's meeting the needs of their employees, meeting the needs of the organization, that they're getting um, the most competitive rates, and that they have a real good understanding of how that benefit plan is used to attract, retain, reward, and take care of their employees. And in your role, what's a, what's a sort of day-to-day -day for you? What sort of responsibilities do you have? As I'm sure you're uh, used to hearing, there is no sort of regular day-to-day <laughs> -day for me. It changes, you know, by the by the day, by the hour. But uh, I, you know, I have a few, I wear a number of hats, but uh, certainly I have a number of clients that I look after, and I and so I enjoy doing that, and I enjoy managing and working with clients, meeting with them regularly. We've got an exceptional team here at Silverberg that I have uh, that I feel very very grateful to oversee and and work with. Um, and so those are the things that I spend most of my time doing. And then, of course, looking to always build the organization, continue to grow the company. You participated in the um, arts and business careers workshop that uh, we had uh, back in October, I want to say. Wow, seems like so long ago. A lot, certainly a lot colder now. We record this in uh, mid-December. And uh, I remember you talking about the, the, all the different careers you've had to kind of get to this point. So I was wondering, I know it might take a while, but I was wondering if we could walk through that, that career journey. Yeah, well, I'll try. I'll try to speed date it, if you will. But I've, uh, as I shared with you, and thank you for inviting me to that. That was a great morning. I enjoyed that. But uh, I've had ten careers, uh, ten adult careers. Um, so that's not counting cleaning golf clubs and paper routes that I also did as a, you know, as a, as a kid. But uh, my first was with uh, Price Waterhouse Coopers PwC, where I uh, obtained my CA designation at the time. It was a CA, now it's a CPA, and so that's where I started. And I spent time in the tax group. Um, from there, um, 
Actually, from there I fell, I fell in love, uh, and uh, and the love was in Calgary, and so I applied for a job in Calgary. And as as do many uh, new newly minted accountants do, I started as a controller for an oil gas oil and um, and gas servicing company. Um, that was down in Calgary as a controller there, and then I got headhunted to be the VP finance for Quebec Or Printing, a large printing organization. Um, and that was exciting, and that was interesting, and I enjoyed. I, I was I was 26 or 7 at the time, and I was part of the executive team, and it was uh, everybody else was sort of in their early to mid 50s, and and they were really good at taking me in and teaching me the business, and uh, and I think I added a certain element, and and they certainly uh, provided lots of coaching and mentorship for me, and and the president at the time, a gentleman named Steve Cropper, is still a friend, and I just went and visited with he and his wife Faye uh, a few weeks ago, so I appreciate those um, those those lasting relationships. Um, and then I had an opportunity to own and operate my first business and the call was back to Edmonton, which is the city that I love. Um, and I, so I came back to Edmonton to own and operate a window and door manufacturing business. Uh, and I quickly realized what I didn't know. And I didn't know the first thing about building windows, not efficiently. I didn't know the first thing about selling windows. Uh, I thought I knew a little bit about how to manage a business, but I had a lot more to learn. And so I learned quickly the value of assembling and putting together a really, really strong team and just how important team is. And so I was grateful to be able to, um, to sort of get a couple really key pieces. I had to kind of clean house and brought in a couple new folks, a production manager uh, that, I, that I wooed from Vancouver, which is not an easy, that's not an easy woo to get somebody from Vancouver to come to Edmonton, but, but did that. And then a sales manager and, you know, together, and I really strongly say together, we were able to um, to build the company and to to have a little bit of success together. Uh, sold that business to one of the big players, um, and then I had a chance to be a president for a dot com company, and uh, the company is now called Time Industrial, and uh, and it was doing some really some really remarkable things during that whole dot com craze in the early two thousands. Uh, but the bubble burst during my time there, and it got a lot tougher uh, to be a dot com and to to make something. Um, to, to grow and to con continue to keep the business funded. So learned a lot about, um, you know, how to fund a business, how to bring a, a product to market. Um, and then, uh, but it was requiring a lot of travel and I had a young family at the time and it just wasn't, um, it just wasn't something that I could continue to, to do properly. Um, I, I will say that every one of these transitions was sort of by my beckoning, you know, but it, it was this curiosity. I think I, I've had this, this constant curiosity and maybe a bit of what I call ADHD uh, in a professional uh, sphere is where I get curious and maybe even a little bit bored with, with status quo and looking for what's next and what, what's, what else is out there. So um, went from there to a, a business called Intuit. So Intuit uh, software development company, they do QuickBooks and used to be called QuickTax, now called TurboTax. And they wanted me to, to build a business for them. And it was taking their, their QuickTax software and having it be an online version. And uh, this, is when, this is when the internet was kind of emerging. People were starting to do some things online, but it was very new for a lot of people. People were dabbling with maybe a little bit of uh, online banking and doing a little bit of their banking online, but a lot of people were still fearful of that. And, oh, you know, will people be able to hack into my bank account and steal all my money? So we're now trying to convince those same people to do their taxes online. Uh, and so did that for a few years. And what I learned from that is how much I enjoy working with really smart people. Because Intuit had some really, really smart people, and I love being surrounded by really smart people and uh, learning from them and just kind of going at their pace. 
but the call of owning and operating my own business beckoned again, and I uh, started up a heavy equipment business, uh, principally on we our main machine was a, a mulching machine that mulched uh, up in the bush, and and this was my opportunity to learn sort of how to start a business, grow a business, um, how to kind of in in a market that wasn't really well defined yet. And so that was exciting and that was fun to, to lift that off the ground. And that, that involved all the things from coming up with a name for the business and figuring out where our location was going to be and figuring out who we we're going to hire and what was our identity going to be? What kind of core values did we believe in? So uh, I really, really enjoyed that. Uh, but as I continued to be excited about the growing the business, what I recognized is I didn't love equipment. In fact, I didn't know anything about equipment and I didn't really care much about equipment. I enjoyed knowing, you know, what we could buy the machine for and then what we could sell the machine for and figure out how could we buy it for a little less and how could we sell it for a bit more and then how do we provide the services and the, and the parts along with that. But didn't love the industry, had an opportunity to join a good friend of mine in the executive recruiting space. And so I moved to executive recruiting and that's where I was now finding other companies, top quality people. I was used to trying to find top quality and, and talent for myself. Now I was being called upon to find uh, talent for others. And I was specifically looking often for CFOs for organizations, CFOs and VP finances. Um, and what I learned from there is just how important network is. And I was really able to continue to really expand and grow my network during my time doing executive recruiting. Met some phenomenal people that I maintain good friendships and good relationships with to this day. Um, that I remain really, really humbly grateful for. Had a bit of a hiccup where I uh, became CFO for, um, again, an oil sort of servicing company. Uh, really, really dynamic leader um, and CEO of this business. Um, but, so, you know, but it wasn't quite, you know, and, and the learning there was to really do your due diligence. Not that I was misled and he's still a friend and he's a terrific guy. But it just wasn't quite what I would thought I was signing up for. Um, but I also learned to, um, you know, to recognize something like that and then to make a move, uh, which landed me on number 10, if anyone's keeping count, which is where I am today uh, with Silverberg Group. Uh, love this industry, love this business, love our team. Have, we have amazing clients. And uh, I think at the end of the day, I learned that maybe there's only two things that I'm any good at. Uh, one is numbers. Numbers has always been, you know, math's always been my favorite subject. I've always been pretty good with numbers and people. I really enjoy people. I like people. And what I enjoy about the benefit space so much is it's the perfect marriage of numbers and people. So maybe this was the career that I should have found all along. If you would have told me coming out of university that I was going to be in the insurance industry, I would have told you you're crazy. That sounded like used car salesman to me. I was never going to be an insurance person. Now that's the industry I find myself in. And, and I wish I would have maybe found it sooner, but I don't regret any of the journey that brought me here. There was learnings every step along the way. I met some amazing people every step of the way, which have really um, supported me in, in the role that I have today. I'm fascinated by your willingness to make changes. You know, you talk about professional ADHD, which I think is a great term, and I think that resonates with a lot of people. Um, but I think what else is striking to me is that you have a willingness to jump into something without being a hundred percent certain of even your own grasp of it or, or being certain that you don't have necessarily a grasp of it. And uh, I think for a lot of people that's terrifying. So how do you, how do you manage that? Yeah, that's a great question. And maybe I just didn't, you know, maybe I didn't have the, uh, the fear. It wasn't ego driven. You know, it's not that I think I'm smarter than, than, not only do I not think I'm smarter than anybody else, I, I think most people are quite a bit smarter than me, especially in some of these fields that I was going into. When I went into the, uh, like to Intuit, 
uh, into software development. All of those folks knew way more about software development than me. But but I think maybe what I recognize is I can I can bring that talent together, bring all that smartness together, surround myself with these amazing teams, and maybe if I have any ability. It's to uh, to get the best out of people, to uh, to lead people in, in a certain way and, and to bring these teams together um, so that really I don't have to be doing the things. My role is to make sure that we have the right people in place uh, to do the th- amazing things that they're capable of. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like you, you have maybe you have a good grasp of what your skills are and, and a willingness to I think that that people skills being able to carry conversations with people, recognizing people's talents and being able to get the most out of them. You know, it, it's interesting that you say, in retrospect, this is the role that, you know, made most sense for you, even though you wouldn't have thought it a long time ago. And I think those people skills and number skills just come right through, right, in in the whole journey, actually. Yeah, and I've always, and maybe that's one thing. I mean, look, I've always been grateful. I haven't practiced as an accountant for a long time. And, and to be candid with you, I probably wasn't a very good chartered accountant. You know, that wasn't where I was strongest. But... But I was, you know, I was good enough to pass the exams and to get the designation and to function. And, and I think I've always been grateful to have that foundation because uh, that sort of I always felt that sort of validated me. And that was my testing ground to know that I could learn things, that I could problem solve, that I could figure things out. So maybe that gave me either a valid courage or maybe a false courage to kind of boldly go and, and, and do these things because I felt that I. I either was validated in the marketplace or perhaps I validated myself to feel that I, I could figure things out when I needed to. Mm. And I just wonder also, because this is something we chat with with other guests too about making changes. How often is it that you, before making a change, what kind of, um, I don't know, like diligence do you do before making a change? Do you talk to like mentors? Do you do a lot of research? What, what goes into that? So I'll, I'll answer that with a yes and no. Uh, I don't do, I probably don't do as much. I'm not a details person and I'm not, you know, I'm not a diligence person. I, I had a friend comment to me a while ago, you know, he commented on the number of contracts he has signed without even reading them. And, and I have to admit I'm somewhat guilty of the same. Um, but what I can say is that I did, I, I would of course talk to different, um, you know, I, different mentors different colleagues, the, the, the fellow, the guys and gals that I went to university with that continue to be friends and say, well, you know, what do you think about this one? You think this is the right fit for me and, and get some feedback. And sometimes they would say no and I'd still do it. Uh, so I did sometimes just boldly go, but I probably, I, I think I was more excited about the opportunity and I, and I only saw the, the blue sky and I didn't necessarily Either I didn't see the clouds or maybe I didn't even want to see the clouds because I just wanted to focus on the blue sky. I think that's a, that's interesting, though. And I was just we had uh, Arden in for an interview as well. We're interviewing everyone from the panel. So and I was chatting with him about, you know, making a change and um, uh, having the courage to do things. And I referenced this article I wrote on Connor McDavid and it was about uh, how to how to skate like Connor McDavid. But I interviewed a sports psychologist and I was talking to sports psychologists about how how do professional athletes have you know the courage to go do these violent things when everyone is trying to hurt them? How do they have the courage? And I think it's the same sort of outlook. They don't think about the negative. They're looking, they're looking at the great things that can happen. Um, and I think that's a good mindset to get into. Not, not not to be ignorant, obviously, but when you are thinking about a change of some sort or a direction you may want to go, um, don't forget about the positive things that can come out of it. 
Yeah, I think the only thing, I mean, and I was always focused on the blue sky, as I said, and I think what you're saying is is, is true for me. I, I, I would always, each transition, I would sort of do a rough calculation in my head about if this goes badly, and it might, so I wasn't I wasn't necessarily a, an eternal optimist. I recognize that it could go badly. If this goes badly, what does that look like? And can I live with that? And as long as I could live with what bad might, you know, the, what a bad outcome might look like, then I was like, all right, then if that's if that's the worst and I can live with that, then let's go forward. How how cut and dry is the calculation for you in the end? Is it is it are you like, okay, I'm pretty certain I've thought about this enough, or is it like, man, we'll see how it goes? More the latter. Yeah. <laughs> I figured. It's interesting because you're an accountant, right? And I think the stereotype would be, oh, you've done the, like, you said you yeah. weren't a detailed person, which is also kind of funny for for an accountant. Well, like, remember that I said I'm not that good of an accountant. <laughs> well, you you speak more like an arts grad to me, speaking of the business and arts <laughs> workshop that we were all a part of, uh, with this idea of more of like a people person in relations. But I do want to talk a little bit more about about people and building teams, because that was something that we talked to you about at a workshop, and I think that's a, a skill in itself. What, what are you, like, what goes, what's kind of your philosophy about team building, <laughs> to ask a really big question, but like, what goes into um, recruiting talent for you? Yeah, such, such a big question, and so many factors, and so, you know, here's one that, here's one thing, and, and then I'll answer the question a little more thoughtfully, but I learned partway through the number of times that I ignored my gut and 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 bad outcomes that came from that was almost one to one and the times that I followed my gut and good outcomes came was also pretty good so what I've learned and I think we all have this uh I've got a pretty good gut when it comes to you know to guiding sort of thoughts and decisions and so and at the outset, when I do recruiting, and I've done you know lots of it, I did it as a, a career for a while. Um, I've developed a pretty good gut, if you will, for okay, this person's gonna be a great fit. Um, and this then, you know, or and this one's, you know, there's some there's some flags here for me. And and there's been times I've still where I've ignored that and then regretted it. And generally when I followed it, I've been grateful that I did. So uh, building teams is so critical for me, and I'm so grateful for the team we have here at Silverberg, which are exceptional to a person. Um, but you know, for me, for me, it comes down to sort of three things. Um, I, I like people who are kind of personable and engaging, and um, you know, easy to to get along with and be around for a variety of reasons, especially in the career we're in now because we're in such a people business. Uh, I like people that have. Uh, a willingness to show up and be accountable and, and put in the effort. And I don't, I, I absolutely value, um, you know, people having balance in their lives and in fact, insist on it. But, but when we're here, we, we have responsibilities. We've got responsibilities to our clients. We've got responsibilities to one another. So we have to step up because if we don't, someone else is going to have to fill the gap for us. So I look for people that are engaging, personable, um, enjoyable to be around, people who have a bit of a work ethic and are willing to step up. And then thirdly, I look for people who are smart. And uh, and I like to work with smart people, not necessarily people who have tons of experience or tons of knowledge specific to what we're looking for, although sometimes that's required, but just people who are able to think and able to process and able to figure things out. And I really, really value that because those people can go at a certain pace and they just figure things out quickly. It's got to be tough to just assess this in a moment, right, to have a conversation like an interview with somebody and then try to assess if they're going to 
you know, can you tell if someone is smart just from an interview? Can you tell if someone is, uh, you know, um, a kind person just from a, like a job interview? This is a difficult things. It, it can be, uh, but I'll answer that in two ways. So, so one, my first answer is sort of yes, yes, you can. And, and it's even just the way people frame, you know, how they communicate and how they express themselves and, you know, just the language they use. And maybe I put a little too much weight on language and grammar and, and, and just how people are able to frame their thoughts, but, but it matters. And, and I think, you know, some of this, I think some of the smartest people out there are comedians and comedians are so quick and so clever that I think comedians are ridiculously smart to have that kind of that sharp wit and to be able to, to think as, as well as they do. Um, but I also, you know, but I also don't leave it all up to me. Every candidate I, I've interviewed with and I meet with, I share with them that these three areas of focus of mine are th these three areas, and I ask them to self-assess. Out of you know, out of a hundred, you know, how, how would you assess yourself when it comes to personable and engaging, and you know, how would you assess yourself when it comes to work ethic and stepping up and being accountable, and and how do you assess yourself on smart? And what's always interesting is people always stumble on that third one. They have everyone really sort of struggles with how, what mark do they give themselves out of a hundred on smart because they don't want to appear arrogant, uh, but they also don't want to say 30 because they're, they're smart enough to know that a 30 is not probably going to do well for them. Um, but I ask them, I ask everyone that I meet with, you know, where would you put yourself in these three areas? That's a difficult, I mean, I remember you talking about that scale at the, at the conference and, um, it's very true. I think it's hard to be like, oh, how how smart are you? And I was, I was thinking to myself, like, oh, where would I rank myself? And I was like, probably like a 70. Um, but, you know, you, <laughs> probably yeah, people... You're way more than 70. <laughs> well, good. I'll, I'll save that for the next interview. But I think when you're in these interview situations as well as a candidate, you're probably like, well, I don't want to I don't want to appear, you know, too, too much of an ego or something like that. So... And, and, I, and I agree with that. But the one thing I also tell people when I interview them, and I try to tell them at the beginning, the one thing I'd say is this is a two-way street. So when you're in an interview, it's absolutely a two-way street. And for sure, everyone understands the one way where I'm expected to ask you questions to assess whether you'd be a great fit with our organization. But equally, you should feel equally empowered to be asking me questions to make sure that this is the right fit for you. So that's the first thing I tell candidates. The second thing I share with them is some advice I got from a partner at PwC when I was interviewing there. And this partner said, Paul, I'm going to give you some free advice. And I said, oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. I said, what is that? And he said, interviews are not a time for false modesties. And I thought, okay, that's good advice. And he says, I'm not telling you, like, don't make stuff up and don't be, you know, don't, don't snowball me. But if there's some things you're good at, tell me, because that's what I want to hear. That's what an interview is for. You know, share those things with me. And again, it's a fine line as, as to coming across arrogant and, and super ego, but interviews are not a time for false modesties. And so if if you're smart, tell me you're smart. Uh, now you better be able to back it up, but you know, <laughs> but you know, like you know, be straight up that way. I think interviews are a fascinating, strange psychological thing that happens, right? I mean, uh, a borderline interrogation—well, literally an interrogation. <laughs> I mean, yep. it is if you think about it, and uh, you know, something that. Um, I mean, you're not necessarily doing the job when you're doing the interview, but you're trying to demonstrate that you can do a job uh, just by having a conversation, uh, unless the conversation is the job, I suppose. So it's kind of fascinating, right. all the theater that goes into it, all the performance. Yeah, I agree. And, and some, you know, look, some people, some people interview well, and some people just don't. And it's not that they're not great candidates. They're just, they don't interview terribly well. And it's anxiety, it's nervousness. And of course, it's a nervous environment, right? 
it's it's stressful for sure. And I so I I do what I can at the beginning of every interview to help people feel more comfortable, more relaxed, remind them it's a two-way street, that they have equal footing in this meeting and this discussion. And hopefully that helps. But I recognize it's still it's still a time where there can be some high stress. I like the point about how the interview is for the candidate also to figure out if they're the right fit for this position. And I think that's a, that's a good perspective. And if, if people do want interview tips, we actually have an episode way, way back. So they can scroll back into the archives of What the Job and Find It. But I want to go uh, back a little bit. I'm curious, about, I'm curious about your connection with people and how uh, that has grown and developed. Because, you know, you entered accounting. And again, I'm stereotyping accounting, so I'm sorry. I'm, my background is all arts. In, in, in some respects, it's, it's valid. But I think you know, more and more, the, the accountants of today are not those green shade, you know, working by the candlelight. I think the accountants are a lot uh, more uh, robust and a lot more than maybe they historically were. Yeah, I, that's probably true. And I have a lot of friends who have English degrees and went into banking or finance and things right. like that, things you might not. My own brother has an English degree and he is a, a logistics manager. So, um, you know, these things that you would think these are counting jobs, they're coming from people with lit degrees. But yeah. um, I'm just kind of curious, what was it that drew you to accounting? And I know you, you said you're interested in numbers, so that makes sense. Um, and, you know, when you were when you were getting that degree, what sort of career path did you envision? Yeah, you know, all really good questions. So, I mean, partly and some of us are all, you know, I think we're all can some of us be guilty of either a, an uncle or an aunt or a mom or a dad or some some role model. And so my father was also a chartered accountant. And so I was aware of that. But maybe I should say so I certainly aware of that profession. It did reasonably well for him. So I thought, OK, this is a reasonable profession. Math was always my favorite subject. I seemed to score well in math through high school and, and such. So seemed like that was a, a bit of a um, predestination for me, or I certainly had some abilities in that area. And then, you know, when I, so I went into business and the accounting, uh, you know, accounting also provided a pl pretty clear career path. Like, it, you know, you took, you, you took your accounting major in, in the fall of fourth year, the accounting firms came and interviewed. Uh, there was generally pretty good job opportunities. You got a, a job. And so it was pretty uh, clearly laid out. You didn't have to overthink it. You didn't have to spend a lot of time research, you know. So for all of those reasons, it just seemed. And, and I guess the final reason I'll say is that I thought that accountants were well respected. You know, you, like when it comes to signing a passport, uh, there's only certain people who can sign a passport and accountants are, are, are one of those. So I thought there was a certain respect that came with the profession that uh, I was probably drawn to. Uh, and when I started at, at PwC, at the time it was Coopers and Lybrown before they merged. Uh, it was my full intention to become a partner and, you know, someday become maybe the managing partner of the office, maybe become a regional or national partner. So I, I came into that thinking that was going to be my career. Um, but then things, you know, things changed. And, uh, and, um, but that was, that was what I was legitimately sort of every, every career I've gone into is I've never thought of it as a stepping stone or, uh, or for a while, every time I've gone into one, it's going to be the one, but then things change. That's interesting because like, at what point did you start to recognize or self-diagnose this professional ADHD? Well, probably, you know, probably by about career four or five, <laughs> you know, sort of average three to five years each. I thought, hmm, maybe I got a bit of a professional ADHD. And what I recognize is I didn't like maintenance. Uh, you know, even when, with the heavy equipment business, well, once we got it up in the name and the location and we got our clients and we got our core values and we got our systems and process, once all of that what I consider to be the fun stuff had occurred. And then it was now just sort of managing it. I thought, okay, well, 
I need to look for something else now. And so that was part of it. And, and what's exciting about the career I'm in, which I expect to stay in for the balance of my career. So, you know, I kind of, I think I'm stuck on 10, uh, is, is we are changing things all the time. And so there, I can still find that, that energy and that excitement and enthusiasm for the career I'm currently in. Well, and I remember you talking about um, top 10 lists and how people remember 10 top 10 lists. So I don't think you can change for, for, for the sake of people remembering you. you have to... <laughs> uh, I do. I want to talk a little bit about mentorship because I know you've done some uh, some stuff with uh, VMS, the venture mentoring service at U of A. So I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about mentorship and what it means to you and what you've been doing with U of A. Yeah, I'd be happy to. You know what? Um, one of the things, so I've got we have three kids who are all like they're 25, 23 and 20. So, you know, I encourage them to uh, seek out mentors uh, as they begin their careers and to, to, to find mentors and to spend time with vendors. And what I know about being, uh, being mentored is just how valuable it was for me through my career. I was fortunate enough to be, uh, to be mentored by a gentleman named Barry James, uh, who's been a great community member in this in this city. He was at Cooper's, he was a manager, and he took me under his wing and he really helped guide my career early. And, and I was so grateful for him, for his mentorship. I mentioned the gentleman at Equebec uh, um, Printing who was a mentor. So just to have somebody to kind of help guide you, kind of maybe challenge some of your thinking, ask you some really good questions, you know, like, you know, mentorship necessarily isn't about providing all the answers, but it is about asking the right questions and then having you think about those things and then coming up with the answers yourself. And, you know, we have the answers. We just sometimes need somebody to ask us the right question. So I certainly learned the value of mentorship early and uh, I'm grateful to those who have provided that mentorship to me and continue to provide mentorship to me. And then when I got asked, it's kind of funny when you cross that that chasm and then now you're getting asked to be the mentor. And uh, I, I, you know, I'll admit when I first got asked in different capacities, I was a little reluctant because I wasn't sure that I, you know, I was capable, you know, I had enough experience enough to offer. Um, but then I remember that it's about asking the right questions. And as long as you're engaged and willing to, to, to really invest and to ask some of those questions and to be a bit of a sounding board, then you are the right mentor. And we, you know, we, and we, we casually mentor, you know, our friends and our, our spouses, maybe, and our, you know, we, we all provide mentorship in varying degrees, some of it more formal, some of it less formal. Um, but there's a, there's maybe, there's an exceptional program here in our own city that maybe not everybody's aware of called VMS or Venture Mentoring Service. And it was started by a gentleman named Ramey Zika, who with his partner, Greg Zeschuk, had started BioWare many years ago, a gaming business, a real Edmonton success story. And then they sold it to, I think it was to EA. Uh, and Ray recognized when he was starting out as a young entrepreneur that there was a real gap in, in formal mentorship opportunities. And so now that he's on the other side himself, he thought, you know what, I need to make, I need to make a difference here. I need to change this. So he went and visited MIT because um, they were known as having one of the best mentorship programs in North America. He went and visited other schools and other programs. And he really put together what he thought was the best of the best. And I have to agree with him. He's put together an incredible uh, program. Uh, it's, it's out of the U of A, but it's for, it's for any entrepreneurs in the city who are looking for mentorship. You get a team of mentors. So you actually have a, a team of, of three or four mentors that are there supporting you. Uh, as with any mentorship relationship, it's up to the mentee, the person being mentored, to drive the conversations, to drive the agenda, to drive the frequency and the cadence of meetings. 
but then the mentors are fully vested and absolutely there to, to help and to support. Yeah, it's a great program. We've interviewed a number of people who have participated with it, uh, in it, sorry. And um, it does seem like just very useful, but also just very kind people. And I think that's one thing about mentorship that I've always thought about is often if you do approach people, they want to help or they're willing to help. And especially if you ask for advice, people like to be asked for advice, I find. Yeah, no, that's my view too. I mean, you know, don't be shy about asking somebody to be your mentor because it's a real compliment. It's, it's very flattering to be asked to be a mentor. And most, pe- most people will say yes. And the reason is, is because they've been mentored in their lives and they appreciate how important that has been in their lives. And they recognize that, that, that they have a responsibility to give back. So, so if you're thinking, you know, if you're thinking about asking somebody to be your mentor and you're a little bit nervous about asking, you're a little unsure, recognize those two things. One is they're going to be flattered and they're going to be appreciate being asked. And secondly, they, they will hopefully likely feel, um, you know, that they, they want to give back and this, this sort of need to, to pay it back. That is great advice. And uh, speaking about being asked, I think it is time to do the lightning round. We ask all our guests a series of these questions, and this is brought to you by our affinity partner, TD Insurance. Uh, these are just simple questions. Uh, the first one is, have you ever been fired? <laughs> well, so yeah, no. Um, and, and I'll just tell you right now, lightning quite, lightning rounds frighten me a bit because you don't have a lot of time to think. But no, I never I never have been. I'm not suggesting that I maybe shouldn't have been along the way. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I, and maybe that's why I was leaving careers as frequently as I was. Is I thought I'd get out of Dodge before Dodge asked me to leave. So yeah, quit before I, they fire you. Yeah, yeah. That was part of it. But no, I have not yet. But but with that said, let me say this: there's no shame in being fired. No, I, I don't think so. People, yeah, there's. I know lots of people who are very successful that have been fired, and they just weren't in the right spot and the right role. So I haven't. But I don't say that as a point of pride. It's just that's not anything that fell my way. Sometimes you're just not a fit. Uh, I understand that. Um, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> Although I sound like a nerd if I say I want to be an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> no, it means uh, it means you you followed your path. Once I realized I wasn't going to be third baseman for the New York Yankees, and that's what I really wanted to be was third baseman for the New York Yankees. Once I recognized that wasn't going to happen, and I tried, but it just wasn't going to happen. Then, then accountant was my uh, my plan B. I think there's a spot open now. Donaldson's kind of declining. They they need someone cheap because of the judge contract. You, you could be you could still yeah, fill that dream true. out. Perhaps. Um, what's something that uh, you wish people knew about your job, or maybe something that people uh, don't don't understand on the surface about your job? Huh, that's a great question. Um, Maybe they don't understand just how much our clients matter to us and just how much we like we actually feel we're part of their organization and that we want to really be an extension of their team and be thought of as part of their organization. Um, And so maybe people don't understand that as much as we we hope they do. And some of our clients do get it, um, but we wish they all understood that about what we're here to do and how we're here to perform. What do you think you would be doing if you weren't in this job? Hmm. Great question. What would I be doing if I wasn't in this job? Um, maybe I would be doing something on my own again. Maybe I would be pursuing some other sort of entrepreneurial ambition. But but what's nice about this role is I, I can still sort of function largely on in an entrepreneurial way. We're growing this business. We're thinking entrepreneurially. Uh, I continue to grow the business as if it was my own. Um, and I do, and I am a shareholder within the business. So, but I would probably be doing something 
on my own entrepreneurially. What is your favorite thing about your job? Well, I've said this before, and I said it just as recently as yesterday when I was meeting with a, a forum group of, of my colleagues is uh, one thing I'm so grateful for is, is the team principally. Um, and, and by extension, our clients, I, I've affectionately said that all the clients that I work with are either friends who have become clients or clients who have become friends. And boy, if you can say that and have that, you're, I think you're pretty fortunate. And I certainly feel fortunate to be able to say it. Uh, last one. And I know we've kind of covered this throughout the episode, but what advice do you have for someone who feels like they are stuck, like they're in a career rut? Well, my first advice is, is to not be like, like, you know, don't, don't allow that to persist. So, you know, if you feel that you are, then you probably are because it's taken you a while to get to that conclusion. So you've probably been in a rut for maybe even a little longer than you thought. So, you know, that's no way, that's no way to live. And I know it's easier said than done because we all have to earn a living. We all have mortgages to pay. We all have to sort of look after that. So, you know, I, we certainly tell our kids, you can't leave a job until you have a job. Um, because leaving is, is, can be scary. So my, my encouragement would be don't allow that to, to persist. I guess my, my advice is either to figure out what, you know, either is there a way to remedy that in your current scenario? And if there's not, then, then be actively looking for something else and, and let people know, uh, because sometimes you never know where that next opportunity is going to come from. So quietly, respectfully, let people know that, Hey, you're looking for maybe something a little bit different. And then something might, something might find you rather than you having to find it. Paul, it's wonderful to talk to you again. Uh, you have a real skill at taking uh, advice, making it succinct, making it understandable. Um, you could have worked in comms if you wanted to. I can say that as someone who works in comms. And uh, everyone should check out the episode we did, the live episode from the Arts and Business Workshop, where there's there's more advice from Paul and some other guests. But thank you for joining us again and chatting about your career journey. Matt, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of What the Job, and a special thanks to our guest Paul Ingram for talking to us about his career journey. And as always, a reminder that the best place for alumni to connect with other alumni about jobs, mentorship, or volunteer opportunities is the online platform Switchboard. It's free, and you can try it out today at uab.ca slash asport. It's a great tool no matter where you are in your career journey. That's all for this episode. For What the Job, I'm Matt Ray. See you next time.